Hello and welcome to the Liam Louth podcast, episode 12. So, finally, this is going to be the sleep podcast that I've been trying to record for a month or putting off for a month. And I tried it about 10 times once in a day and I was really annoyed. I just couldn't get it out, didn't seem to flow. When I finished it, I thought I didn't really do it justice. So, here we go again with the 99th try. So, I've actually got slides in front of me. So, for our gym members in team, I actually taught this. I stood up and kind of waffled on, basically, about sleep and stuff and how important it is. So, I've got some slides to kind of help me teach it. So, hopefully, I won't lose track. Now, some of the words I'm going to drop, like Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer, things like that, are probably going to shock you. Don't get triggered at the stats, because it's from Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Uh, apparently, he's got a PhD. So, don't get, like, carried away with the numbers. It's it's there in a way to shock you, just to take sleep more seriously. So the whole point of this podcast then is to take sleep more seriously, whether it's fat loss, productivity, like a million different reasons why you should be sleeping more, uh, like cravings and all sorts of linked to it. So I'll just talk to about the book a little bit. So I was listening to the audio book uh, as a bit of a hypocrite. So I was listening to it at 5am in the morning, every Wednesday and Thursday, for about a month while driving to Tame and then often while driving back. Now, I warn you, I know my voice is pretty boring, but the, the guy's voice on Audible is horrendously boring. I don't know if it's the actual author or just someone they've hired to, to kind of speak and it's really boring. But as a person who's probably quite boring and really into PT, I found it interesting. But it is heavy on science. So what you might want to do as a little hack, if you do enjoy this podcast, is Google him on YouTube or Google it on podcasts. His name, Matthew Walker, and you'll get it from the horse's mouth rather than mine. So I'll, I'll just run through it then. So there's a little statement he put at the start, and it's, it's a bit theatrical and a bit kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I probably won't do it justice. But the point is just to show you how important sleep is in everything that we do. So amazing breakthrough. Scientists have discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer. It enhances your memory and makes you more creative. It makes you look more attractive. Big claims. It keeps you slim and lowers food cravings. It protects you from cancer and dementia. Bigger claims. It wards off colds and flu. It lowers your risk of heart attacks and stroke, not to mention diabetes. You'll even feel happier, less depressed and less anxious. Now, if someone could give you that on a pill you would probably take it because people are taking skinny teas and you know, all sorts of supplements and doing all sorts of crazy exercises and woo-woo classes, but they won't get a good night's sleep. Now, we appreciate some of you have got babies or you know a busy household or you've got jobs that involve you getting up early and that's cool, but just as long as you take it a bit more seriously than you did last year, then we're on to a winner because even I'm not perfect with it. So as I mentioned, I was listening to this book and I felt like a hypocrite. Uh, every part of it just made me think, Jesus, I need to take sleep more seriously. But as a PT, I'm sure you all know, it's unsociable hours. So the average person works a nine to five. They would like PT at 6am, 7am, 6pm, 7pm, 8pm, that kind of stuff, on average. Uh, so you kind of have to start off to get your name out there and build your business. You have to start off doing every hour under the sun. And at one point I was in the, I was in the Air Force. I was lorry driving with agency work at short notice and I was also working 16 hours in my local gym uh, for nothing effectively, just teaching classes, trying to get started. And then over time, I've I've withdrew from the lorry driving, withdrew from the RAF and focused just on PT to the point where this book actually made me consider things a little bit and I actually turned down business now on a Monday and Tuesday morning 
because I can't do 6am Monday to Friday and finish late, you know, four or five nights a week either. Because when I say late, I mean 9pm, 10pm, 8pm and stuff like that. And it was getting ridiculous though, like, you know, 14 to 18 hour days, it was stupid. So I take sleep more seriously now. And I feel anecdotally, I feel like I recover better. I feel like I'm, my product, productivity is better. Uh, moods are better. Whereas before I was just trapped in my grind. and I was getting it done because I had to, but it wasn't sustainable. So back to the book then. So the first slide I got for last week was reasons to take sleep more seriously. So I'm just going to get them all up on the screen. So these are direct quotes from the book. So inadequate sleep, even moderate reductions for just one week, disrupt blood sugar levels so profoundly that you'll be classified as pre-diabetic. So that's a huge claim. Classified as pre-diabetic after sleep reductions of just one week because it's disrupting your blood sugar levels. So that's a big reason for me to kind of take it more seriously. I'm sure you agree. Uh, The next one then, sleep is the single most effective thing we can do to reset brain and body health each day. So there was a quote in there, if if I can remember, it was something like, the bridge between hope and despair is a good night's sleep. So I'm not suggesting if you've got serious life problems, you're going to have a good night's kip and you're going to wake up fresh as a daisy. But staying up all night drinking or staying up all night worrying or whatever it is or just playing on your phone all night probably isn't going to help either. So try and get some kip. Uh, routinely sleeping less than six hours a night demolishes your immune system more than doubling your risk of cancer. Dramatic pause for the C-bomb. So, again, not my stat, but pretty kind of mind-blowing. Less than six hours a night demolishes your immune system. So, on those nights I was getting in at 10pm, my, my alarm clock was going off at, at 10 to 5. And I often wasn't going to bed straight away because I'd have to eat my dinner, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I was doing too much and, you know, it, it paid off in the end and I've, I've withdrew slightly. But uh, just a reason to take it more seriously. Getting too little sleep across the adult lifespan will significantly raise your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Again, that may shock a few people. Uh, There's some quite interesting portions of the book on that in detail and all the science and stats behind it and the mechanisms in the brain and stuff. And it is heavy on science, but if any of this interests you, I recommend reading it. But if you don't like the science, then definitely don't because it is in-depth. In terms of memory, sleep is not like the bank. You cannot accumulate a debt and hope to pay off later in time. Sleep for memory consolidation is an all or nothing event. So the day you're studying, and a few clients who are doing this at the minute or have recently, and she actually said one of my clients was, the more I study, the less I learn. And it's because most people are doing too much studying while full of caffeine, working too many hours in a job while doing uni on, on the side. And... You're trying to study every night because you're committed and it's good to see and you're eager, but you're not retaining a lot of that information. And crudely, he did say the brain's a bit like a computer. You kind of need to kind of restart it, restore it and create the little uh, shortcuts, if you like. So when you get these nights kip, it's stored and it's easily accessible. So if you're a bit forgetful, you know, it's worth getting some kip. We estimate that 15% of all children with an ADHD diagnosis actually have a sleep disorder. So 15% is not the biggest number ever, but ADHD is quite a common thing these days. Uh, Adults 45 plus who sleep fewer than six hours a night are 200% more likely to have a heart attack or stroke during their lifetime compared to those who sleep seven to eight. 
So that little hour or two people are not getting, and they're saying, oh, it's okay, I'm getting six, puts you at 200% more likely to have a heart attack or stroke. And that's in adults who are 45 plus. So the point of this isn't to scare you, it's just to take sleep a bit more seriously. I'm not for one second suggesting, you know, if you don't get your six hours, you're going to have a stroke. Hopefully that's obvious. Uh, the shorter you sleep, the shorter your lifespan. Again, these are all direct quotes. That one's quite an oversimplification, but it does make you think the shorter you sleep, the shorter your lifespan. People are not taking it seriously enough. Uh, and, and the reason why I'm saying all this is, is mainly for my clients, you know, trying to lose fat, trying to get strong, trying to get lean, trying to grow muscle, you know, training for big goals. But if you're not taking sleep right, it's going to bite you in the ass in terms of recovery, in terms of your eating habits and your motivations and your cravings and stuff. People are often not going to the gym because they can't be asked because they're so tired because they stayed up the night before. So it, it, it's all linked. So the next one then is, if I go back, why we sleep. So again, I've quite crudely summed these up. So why we sleep then? We sleep to improve every function of the human body and mind. So it's not just so we feel fresh the next day. There's a lot of things that are going on biologically, physically, mentally. To repair damaged tissue. So keeping it linked to PT. You know, you're causing the damage in the gym. You need to repair it. To store memories and solve problems. To adapt to training, to recover from illness, which is a big one. You know, anecdotally, I do find the cold and flus and little niggles I'm getting and stuff seem to be going quicker the older I get compared to when I was a bit younger. I didn't take sleep as seriously and you kind of have these colds and flus that drag on for months. And again, anecdotally, I found clients who struggle with sleep seem to be more likely to colds and flus and stuff. But again, that's not some kind of scientific study. That's just my personal experience. To improve mood. So since I t- started improving my sleep and taking it more seriously, I've definitely noticed my productivity and moods have got better as well. And the last one is to restore and improve cognitive function, which again, pretty important. Uh, next one then. So how sleep can affect weight loss. So when you sleep poorly, consistently, you're less likely to eat in line with your goals. So if you're chronically underslept, studies have shown you're going to find it easier to eat crap and you're going to overconsume calories. Motivation can be harder to find when you've had inadequate sleep. So going back to what I said earlier, people want to get in shape. They love the idea of being lean, toned, fit, strong. But after that nine to five, they're absolutely exhausted because they didn't go to sleep last night and then the job's been killing them basically in terms of like motivation and mood and they just can't be bothered. So that night's sleep has affected your motivation and you tell yourself you'll go, you'll go the next day or you'll take it seriously next week, but people often don't. And we're stuck in this cycle of wanting to get in shape, but not actually getting in shape. Uh, rates of fat loss versus muscle loss can be affected negatively by sleep. So your body composition, so your rates of muscle to fat loss. So there was some studies in the book. I don't have the exact numbers. And there was a group of people with, who were chronically underslept and a group of people who weren't. Similar calories, you know, similar energy output. And what they found was the people who were underslept, even though they lost some weight, it was largely uh, muscle, not fat. The people who were getting more sleep lost a lot more fat, kept muscle. So when people talk about being toned or lean or whatever, or ripped, if you like, it's a presence of muscle and a reduction or absence of fat. That, that's all it is. So you're retaining your muscle and losing fat. So anytime someone talks about weight loss 
I would like them to reframe it as fat loss. Unless for some reason they've got a sport and go like, I don't know, they have to box it a certain weight. Uh, an increase in cortisol levels can affect mood, diet, adherence, and motivation levels. So it's a dopamine effect. So if you're chronically underslept, cortisol levels, which are known as the stress hormone, can affect your mood and your diet adherence and your motivation levels. So you're less likely to eat in line with your goals, as I mentioned, or go to the gym, as I mentioned. And the last one, a poor night's sleep can affect gym performance. So if you find your strength's not getting better and your form's not getting better and your stamina's not getting better, some of it could be linked to your sleep. You've got to sleep. You can't just keep turning up. Because I do know people who are really good at forcing it. So they force themselves to get to the gym because I think it's important. They force themselves to turn up for sessions because they really want to see change. But sometimes it might be best to actually sleep and have some rest and you'll perform better the next day or the next week. Uh, last one. Studies on shift workers have shown a considerable overconsumption of calories compared to normal, normal work routines. So I appreciate it's not practical for most people, including a lot of clients I work with. But when you're working night shifts, it's notoriously hard because your body has a circadian rhythm, an internal clock. And a lot of you, there's a lot of things that are kind of linked to that, like your eating. So when you disrupt that clock, it plays with your appetite, with your cravings, with your mood and all sorts of things. So it's notoriously bad. And then you're going to crave chocolate, cakes and biscuits. So if you can, try and avoid shift work. But again, not practical for everyone. Uh, how sleep can affect muscle gain. So the stimulus occurs in the gym, but results come in the bedroom. So I had laughs last week when I mentioned that. Obviously not on a podcast. Uh, so the stress and response loop. So when a client trains with me or on their own, we're trying to create a stimulus. But when you walk out, apart from feeling good, burning some calories, maybe a pump, you haven't achieved anything really aesthetically. A lot of it happens in in your bedroom when you're sleeping right and eating right and nutrition's on point and then you see the results. Performance then, as I mentioned. So the amount, you tend to lift heavier if you're well slept and you recover better. A lack of sleep can result in elevated cortisol levels, which is a catabolic hormone. So it can be linked to muscle breakdown. So you don't want to be chronically overstressed, underslept, and then expect to grow muscle because it's not the best conditions. So you do need to chill out a bit. Gym motivation can waver and diet decisions are often affected by a lack of sleep, which I mentioned earlier. Recovery is often slower when we are chronically underslept. Kind of said that already. Uh, cool. So warning signs. So maybe you're listening to this, but you're thinking, well, I still make it to the gym. You know, I still feel okay. And I still do all right. But here's a few warning signs and, and some of these might kind of ring true. So do you overreact to minor inconveniences? So I know when I was in, in the RAF, I used to kind of flip out about daft little things. And now I, I barely react. And I think sleep's played a big part in that. Uh, poor performance in the gym. So again, if you're stalling, you can't break past that PB. Could be your sleep. Feeling sluggish, demotivated. Could definitely be sleep. Not enjoying social interaction. So if you're quite reclusive, if you can't bother talking to people. You know, if I have a crap night's sleep, this is definitely me. Uh, lapses in concentration. Again, going back to the driving I mentioned when I nodded off. And I thought, Jesus, I need to quit. Lapses in concentration. Relying on caffeine, now this is huge. So if, you, if you're relying on caffeine to get to the gym every time or caffeine to study, caffeine to stay awake, that's a warning sign. 
Losing focus generally. Nodding off when driving. That's me again. Cool. So, how alcohol and caffeine affect sleep. So, again, this is a quote from the book. Alcohol is remarkably detrimental to our sleep. So, completely forget the notion of a nightcap, as alcohol essentially acts as a sedative. So, in the book, there was quite a big portion on this. It was interesting. So, you know, my grandparents and stuff, they have a nightcap and stuff. And it, it doesn't help you sleep well. It just helps you. It's like a sedative. So you're knocked out, basically. You're not entering the deep stages of sleep. Now, I don't know the whole book off by art, but there's different stages of sleep, like your REM sleep and stuff, or your rapid eye movement sleep. And each zone has kind of different functions and features and different processes that are done. And and what it's saying is alcohol doesn't allow you to get into that deep sleep. So yes, you, you're not awake, you're not conscious, but you're not in deep sleep either. So again, I'm not expecting anyone to give up drink and go teetotal, but you know, save it for the Saturday night or save it for the birthdays and christenings and weddings and stuff. Next one then, sleep is often broken following alcohol, as I mentioned, and the REM stage of sleep is blocked, resulting in low mood, motivation and poor diet adherence. So maybe you do only have six drinks and you're in bed for, I don't know, 12, but next day, how do you feel? I know personally, I'll still feel a bit crap and my motivation will drop and I might be able to force a gym session, but not everyone can. Even if you fall asleep on caffeine, the quality of sleep is poor as deep sleep is affected by 20%. Uh, And also for context, it does say the 20% that's affected is basically how your sleep declines as you age. So whatever age you are now, if you fast forward 15 years, that you're going to lose 20% of your sleep quality. So the people who are having coffees at 5pm, 6pm, 8pm, their sleep quality is dropping 20%, as if they've aged 15 years, basically. So no caffeine, ideally, after like 12 or 1, 2pm max, is what they suggest. And the reason why is, caffeine has a half-life of 6 hours. So half-life means, if you have it at 12, half of the dose is in your system at 6pm. Now, it has a quarter life of 12 hours. So from lunchtime to midnight, you're still going to have a quarter of the dose floating around the body. So you're not going to enter these deep stages of sleep until you've stopped having coffee. So I used to have coffee at 5pm before my 6am shift in the gym. And then now, I might have the other one at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, but it's quite rare. In general, I have one when I first wake up, and that's it. Or sometimes it'll 10 o'clock. And I do find it helps because people are over-reliant on coffee. And then why I'm on coffee, I'll just talk about it. So these 24-hour events we've done, we've done three now. What I like to do, I, I cut coffee out about a week before. So on the day I have a coffee and it does the job of coffee, which is keep me awake and, and help me get through the session. So caffeine's one of the most researched supplements. and it's like Team Sky use it, a lot of athletes use it. But the average person has it every day in cup form and cans of Monster and all this stuff and energy drinks. And because you're constantly putting it in your system, like your, your body's not that kind of responsive to it. A bit like someone who drinks a lot and they don't really get pissed or a functional alcoholic, if you like. So what, what I like to do is have a few days off it, but I don't just stop dead. I go from two a day to one a day and then I go into green tea and I might have three days with zero caffeine. Or, or cups of tea or something like that. So you've just reduced your kind of tolerance a little bit. So when I do have it, I perform better. It keeps me awake on these daft events. But I had a client try it cold turkey recently and they had headaches. 
and another client had it had headaches and a bit of a back niggle, which I'm sure wasn't related, but they were convinced it was, but I thought it was quite interesting. So good little test for you is do a few days off coffee and find out how reliant you are on it. And also, if you're having the coffees at 3, 4, 5 p.m., you know, ask yourself, is it affecting your sleep? I mean, like, my grandmother has them at, like, 8 p.m. when I go up north. And she's like, do you want a coffee late at night? And I say, there's no chance of me sleeping on that. And she'll be like, well, I sleep at night. And that's brilliant for her. But she can't figure out the link of her waking up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and stuff. And judging from the book, that could be linked to that late night coffee. But she won't have it because she's stubborn. Uh, so basically that's it so again sorry to drop the alzheimer's in or the cancer bombs and stuff like that the goal isn't to scare you or into a panic obviously if you have a coffee tonight it's not going to kill you a bit of booze isn't going to kill you but if you can make your sleep a little bit better then that's going to be a winner for everyone uh hopefully you all enjoyed that there's one little slide that i almost missed which is not here we go so it's how to get more sleep so you had all that information which hopefully wasn't overwhelming but now you want to know the practical steps there's no point me just scaring you about sleep so how to get more sleep the number one tip in the book was having a consistent bedtime so this is literally he said it's better than having six hours five hours nine hours ten hours and playing catch-up he said it would be better to have seven every single day or seven and a half every single day or eight the people who can do that are going to have much better results and I appreciate it's not practical. As a PT for me, it's just not. If you've got young kids, it's probably not either. But if you can, do it. Let me know how you get on. Uh, dimmer switches and blackout curtains. So the iPads, the phones, the TVs that you're watching emit blue light, which affects some of the hormones that signal to our brain that we need to go to sleep. It's like melatonin production. And they're affected by daylight. So when the sun's down, we're supposed to feel sleepy. And the exercise makes us feel even more sleepy. And the cabs before bed make us even more sleepy. But you're watching Netflix for four hours or playing on your phone and it's kind of giving your body a mixed signal. So if you can't sleep, dimmer switches, blackout curtains can help. Uh, bedroom, stick to sex and sleep. So the power of association. So if you're checking emails or shopping all the time, often you can subconsciously associate the bedroom with other things rather than sex and sleep. Hot bath or shower before bed. I use this one quite a lot. So... If it's late at night and I've just finished work, but I'm still a bit ha- hyped up, I get a hot shower and it does help me get to sleep. I think the, the theory is it makes you, the outside of your body temperature, like i.e. I, skin, nice and warm. So you, your core cools. As your core body temperature drops, you're more likely to fall asleep. So another big tip was to keep your room nice and cool. Turn off mobile devices or at least lower the brightness. Put an airplane mode. Or if you're on call, like I say, just turn the brightness down. Low room temperature, again, mention that. A reverse alarm. So use alarms to get up. Reverse alarms and alarm to snap you out of Netflix. Because Netflix is designed now, it pops up, say, next episode, five, four, three. You know, Facebook's designed to keep you scrolling. So is Instagram, notifications. So if you put a reverse alarm on, it might go off at 10, 9, 11 p.m. It just snaps you out of it <clears throat> and you go to bed. A pre-bed routine, so... Get off your phone, try and read, listen to podcasts, uh, other podcasts that are available, audiobooks, journaling, to-do lists, things like that. And I find to-do lists really help me get my shit sorted for the next day, so that's a good tip. Uh, carbs before bed then, so carbs before bed is a really good one. Carbs will not make you fat after 6pm. Eating excess calories 
or a calorie surplus makes you fat. So it's not the carbs' fault. But having carbs before bed can chill you out, mellow you out. Think about when you have a Sunday dinner or a big meal. It tires you out. You want to fall asleep on the sofa. So when you have your rice or your pasta or your bread or your noodles, it's going to help you fall asleep and relax. So don't starve yourself of carbs, especially if you've just trained. And no caffeine in the evening or booze. Cool. So that's finally it. 25 minutes. Hopefully that wasn't a massive anticlimax after promising it about a month ago. Just some some tips for you. But just try it and let me know how you get on. Let me know if, you, if your sleep improves, if your productivity improves, if you find you start making better diet decisions, which is going to help you lose more fat, or if you start getting stronger. Because a lot of people's motivation dips because of their sleep. Uh, as always, I appreciate anyone who shares it. I appreciate any feedback. And yeah, look forward to the next episode, which should be a guest special with a, a client who smashed it. So, goodbye.